Hello, my name's Alyssa, Alyssa Montgomery, and I am a filmmaker and photographer. I attend New Beginnings Uniting Church. Yeah, so uh, every Sunday morning, I am one of the camera operators for our live streaming church every week to our congregation who prefers to watch online. Um, yeah, and I also help throughout the week filming different things like church news or certain testimony series. <laughs> God, I feel like, uses me unexpectedly all the time. Um, I think people have told me that I am a good listener. And so I think God uses me to be his ears and listen to people, people's problems, where people are at, what people are struggling with. I feel like God gives me that. Um, God puts me in those places with those people that need me there. And it's really great because then I can give all of that to God. And sometimes in those conversations, I'll feel the Holy Spirit stirring inside me and I'll feel the Holy Spirit talking to them through me. And I'll say things that I was like, and I'll, I'll be really surprised by that. I was like, hang on, did I say that? I'll be really surprised at the things that the Holy Spirit will kind of like push me to kind of say to people. And in that moment, it's almost like it's the perfect thing needs to be said or it's just something that they really needed to hear. So I feel like there's been a lot of moments like that. Who loves those videos? They're pretty incredible. Uh, be sure to remember to go check out the full 10-minute interview that each person that we're seeing each week has because there's some incredible parts to all of them. And uh, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating to hear how God is working in their lives and how people are recognising how God's working in their lives. Um, but this week, this week from Alyssa's video, which thank you, Alyssa, very much for taking that. She, she ran out of the room so no one could look at her while we, because she hates, yeah, it's a rule when you're up on screen, you hate to hear the sound of your own voice. Uh, but uh, she ducked out, but she, she's back. Thank you for, for doing that. This week, we're, we're looking at a, a fella, and he's an interesting little fella. He, his name's Timothy, and I, I call this one the over-romanticized idea of the call because what we see from this fella, Timothy, is not like some massive unveiling of God's call to someone like we heard last week with Moses, which was a fantastic sermon by Josh. But actually, God calls us in our own unique ways, in our own specific ways. And in my experience, generally more so, not so much this big, massive divine revelation. And it's often also not something that we hear a lot of the time about the minister saying, I had this grand calling to step into ministry. So we, we hear a lot of those stories and they're fantastic stories, but actually, and this is the whole point of this series, every single person has a call 
and every single person actually has something to step into to be part of the church, to be part of the family, to be part of this world because this, the world still isn't completely reconciled to Jesus, reconciled to be put in right step with Jesus and the way that he lived and the way that we desire to live because of how Jesus exampled that for us. So let's pray and then I want to get into it. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for the truth that it spoke in the time, the truth that it speaks today and the truth it will continue to speak into the future. We pray as we hear the words from it that it will continue to shape us so that we live closer in alignment to your step. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you about my story. Some people know it because, you know, you might have been on the interview committee when I came into New Beginnings here. Some people might know about it because I've told you a bit about how I got in here, uh, got into New Beginnings. Some people might know about it just because we do life together. When I started here, it actually takes, you have to take a step before that. I started studying theology not to get a job in the church. I started studying theology because I had three big questions on my heart. I started studying theology because I wanted to ask, who's God? What does that mean for me? And how do I live my life because of that? They're the three big questions that I had to ask myself when I actually started studying theology. And there was a pre-story to that that got me to that point. But that's where I was. I asked, who's God? What does that mean for me now? And how do I live my life because of that? Now, part of the academic journey is, and I didn't realise this when I started up, and they knocked on my door and they were saying, Caleb, you have to actually be involved in a church to be doing this course that you're doing. And, and I'm like, well, fair enough, it makes sense. So I went running along to the local church I was attending and uh, I thought, you know what, they're going to be absolutely stoked because here's a young kid looking to do some volunteer work in a church. And I, I, I've grown, grown up in the church. My dad's a pastor. And I saw every time that opportunity came up for him, he almost fell on the floor and fainted. So, you know, I, uh, he, he uh, set that standard. But I went to this church and the church said to me, oh, we don't have anyone with any spot to look like, actually put you into, no one to oversee you, no one to look after you in that way, which is astounding, it's crazy, I don't get it, but I look back in hindsight and I say, well, you know what, big picture, I can see the call now, I can see that stuff. But what happened was a little time later, I uh, started, I, I said I had to start looking for churches that are actually looking for someone then, because I can't just obviously go to the one I wanted to go to. And so I went to, on, there's this online site called Christian Jobs Online, and I jumped on that, and lo and behold, he was the worship pastor position at New Beginnings. And New Beginnings gave me a chance. And I just said to him in the interview, uh, I'm just doing my bachelor's. I'm looking to learn. I've been a part of the church all my life, but I've never been in a formal role. So I just want to grow into that and see what that leads to. And six years down the track, here we are. The call in my life was not a grand call. I had an interest that I wanted to know who God was and what that meant. And then that led to actually feeling strongly called here after being here and then actually feel, growing into the heart of what the church is and growing into 
what the church does and being a part of that and being able to serve the community here, the family here. That developed my call. It wasn't this big moment. And uh, the reason why I say that is because sometimes it may just be that you're asked to give an opportunity. Sometimes it is just an extension that actually makes someone realise their call, not necessarily just a random moment that happens. And this is kind of what I want to get to towards today. Well, let's reread Timothy and we're going to go back and we're going to read from 12 to 17 to start with. So it's 1 Timothy 12 to 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Jesus Christ. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God has given me, had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even the worst sinners. Then others will realise that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honour and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal King, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. This verse, this first pretext to the part that we're talking about, this is actually all about Paul. Paul, Paul loves to put himself in his letters. He, he gives it, and it's not just because he's being like, oh, I want to get in the letter. There's a reason why he puts himself here. Paul used to kill Christians specifically. He blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, which when we went through Mark, we saw was the unforgivable sin. That's a different conversation. We'll come back to that after the service. But he, he blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. He, he cursed out people. And, and what, happened, what he's saying is, despite all of this, Jesus' love, His grace, His mercy on me is still enough that I can still live this life with God. He still loves me so much that he died for me. And it's unconditional grace. Unconditional grace. Doesn't matter how far you think you're gone. Doesn't matter who you think you've hurt. God's love will fill those places of pain and suffering. And his love so much for you is that he'd prefer die for you than leave you stranded in sin. So this part is building up. And then all of a sudden, what's happening is Paul's about to commission, and that's a fancy word for send out. You know, like when Jesus gives us the great commission, he sends us out into the world. He's about to send out Timothy to look after this church called Ephesus. And there's some stuff happening there, but this is what happens in verse 18. If we just throw up verse 18. It says, Timothy, my son, hear my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. You know what's fascinating here? And I really, we'll touch on it more in depth later, but Timothy was prophesied over before his call by what you would assume to be the spiritual among him. 
or the people of faith among him, which we now call a church. Timothy was prophesied over and he was given guidance in the form of instruction. So he's being prophesied and guided over and he's being released, he's being commissioned. What we read is this isn't an incidence where he's having a call to ministry, but he's actually been a disciple of Paul and he's being released into that. And finally, in verse 19, we receive this encouragement from Paul as he goes about it. It says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciousness. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. So that's the encouragement. He always leads with an encouragement. And he's saying, despite what's happening there, do not yourself stray, stay solid in the faith and move towards that. It's, uh, it's really interesting to observe that Timothy's call, or as we said before, actually a commissioning, is that it's not from himself. I think it's really interesting that a major part of Paul's ministry which is this fellow Timothy, isn't actually recognised. And I'm not saying Timothy didn't have a call. He could have behind the pages had one, but it's not written in the Bible. Paul's letter, what, what Timothy's actually about to enter into, is about this church Ephesus. And what's happening is the leadership of this church in Ephesia is actually becoming corrupted. They started, the leadership of the church, there's a couple of people in there, are starting to fall to uh, Jewish patterns and twisting them to fit in their ways. They're falling to uh, different ways of living because of different cultures around. And they're taking on these different, ad, uh, like different parts. And so Timothy's job, his call, is to go in there and kick out kick out, fix those people up and actually make the path of right leadership to be rehappening. So later on in 2 Timothy, when he gets called back to Rome, it's in an established place. In 1 Timothy, that's what's happening, is to re-establish the leadership there. Timothy's call then, or rather his task, is to call out the people who are corrupted and to establish what had been taught. If you read 1 Timothy, if you go through it this week, I encourage you to, it's only about six chapters, you'll notice that Paul mentions the phrase Christ Jesus the whole way through. And this is essentially saying Jesus the Messiah. And why he does that is because Jesus the Messiah, Christ Jesus is the standard of leadership that we should all be trying to aspire towards. And so Timothy, in being taught by Paul, the Apostle Paul, who had the encounter of Jesus on the road, who sent him blind, has actually taught him what it means to live in that way of leadership. And so he's going in there to actually bring those people back to what it means to be like Jesus in their leadership, which Jesus' model is one of servanthood. Because of the nature of how we observe Timothy and how he steps into this role of leadership, and his part of God's plan, we can actually note some really interesting lessons. And it's not necessarily what we get when we go through Timothy and just read it and try and get the direct lessons from the text. 
This is a very different perspective. I want to start with this. When we, we observe Timothy and his call and his leadership and what happened there, we can say this. When a church identifies a leader, it empowers them to do what they need to do. And they'll come up in a second so you can see it. When the church identifies a leader, it empowers and enables them to do what they need to do. Or as you see it there, when the church identifies a call for someone, when we think of it in our perspective, when we identify the call in someone else's life, it actually empowers them to step into the call if we validate that for them. You know, I'm studying my Masters of Leadership at the moment and this empower word is one that's thrown out all the time. We're about empowering our people. We're about empowering the young people, the next generation. We're about empowering the next. They, no one actually knows what empowering consists of. Maybe inherently you can do it, but if you look at some organisations and businesses, they'll say, we're empowering, but there's no opportunities. Let me break down what I think empowerment actually looks like. And if we're to do this as a church, and I've mentioned it already, if we're to empower people into their call, we've got to give them opportunity to step into their call. If you have noticed someone has a gift in something, whether, and, and a classic example is the, up here on stage, if you notice someone's got a lovely singing voice next to you and you say, you need a microphone, you're giving them the opportunity to actually step into the call, right? Or let's, let's go to a different example. Say you're actually really great at hospitality. Anyone here a hospitality person? Making sure you're still awake by making a question. Anyone a hospitality person? Kerry, I know you are. No, Kerry hates hospitality. But if you notice someone is really good at being able to do that, if you notice someone's really good at making people feel welcome, if you notice that, do you ever go up to them and say, you're really good at that. Here's the opportunity for you to be able to use that. What's the opportunity? Part one to empowerment is creating the opportunity for people. Part two to empowerment is actually giving them the freedom. And freedom here is when it starts to change it from delegation to actually empowerment. Because if you don't give them freedom, you're just giving them the job that you don't want to do. But if you give someone freedom and actually say, this is your skill, here's a place to do it, and you can do it however you like. You're actually saying, use your skills and what you believe to be best for that space. There's for opportunity, there's freedom. So we're avoiding delegation. Finally, what you give them on the third part is the security. Oh, security, that sounds confining. Well, if you give them security, you're actually giving them support. You're facilitating confidence in the individual. You're giving them the place that it doesn't actually matter as long as they try because you've got their back. This is how we empower people as a church. And as we start to think and we're pushing out into this space as a church, we're going beyond just a few people doing it and saying, you've got skills, you've got skills, you've got skills. Kind of feel like Oprah doing that. You've got skills. Uh, 
we're saying we want to help you be able to do that. We're saying we want to give you an opportunity. We want to give you the freedom to make it happen. And we want to make sure you feel comfortable, supported and confident to be able to do that. When the church recognises someone, they empower them with all the support required. Support goes beyond just empowering too though. So we're empowering them, but then we're supporting. Supporting actually, and look, if you look at how Paul does this, he always encourages Timothy. That's why we pointed it out in that verse. He's encouraging Timothy whilst he's doing it with, through the letter. He's telling him that he's continually praying for him. He's telling him that he's ongoing with his uh, thoughts for him and how he can help. He's not just sending him out there and letting him linger. The call is not met as soon as we step into it. The call's accomplished when we actually finish the race. Paul trusts Timothy, or rather, if the church trusts... Sorry, let me just... Yes, got it. Paul trusts in Timothy. Can we see that there? When we read that verse, we can notice that Paul's trusting him because that's why he's sending him. If the church trusts individuals like that, they actually do this next thing, and that's that they validate the call God has on their life. Think of it from the flip side, like in my story. I said to a church that I am looking to serve because, yeah, granted it was because I needed to meet some academic standards, but also because I was exploring that side, the actual what does that mean side. And because of it, they declined and it could have potentially deflated, taken me out, left me by myself in the faith which is absolutely wrong. On the flip side, you have someone that, in, in, that actually pulls you into it and they say, yes, we believe in you. What that does is it actually enables people to do what they're believing they're called to do. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to wrestle with that with you because sometimes you may be on the right track and you need some refinement. That just happens sometimes. And maybe we need to actually sit down and say, what does that look like? It's not just one thing that you can go and do. What does that mean? And maybe you want to explore some depth to that. But everyone has it and the heart of the church needs to actually be to push people into that, to hold them close with the trust that they're listening into what God has to say. And I think the most important thing that we're mentioning today is that when the church recognises someone, it helps the person recognise their role in the body. You know, we talk about this concept, the body of Christ. We talk about it and let's read about it. It's in 1 Corinthians and it's chapter 12, verse 21. It says, The eye cannot, can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can, can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest are least important are actually most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honourable parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together such that extra honour 
and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. This here is the whole reason why we, we, we push into this series, why we push into the heart of what is your call? Because we need you, just like you need us. It's one body. The depth to the, the ability of the body is only when the whole body is in unity together. Everyone has a gift. Everyone has abilities. And it's that that we're looking to nurture and to actually be able to grow in together. And you may say, oh, I don't know what my gifts or my abilities are. You know, if that's the case, come talk to us. It's not an excuse because we'd love to figure it out with you. And there's many things that we can do to try and help you figure that stuff out. Some incredible things that we can do. And I want to extend that opportunity to not just be there, but it might be something that you can actually start. Maybe you already know. Maybe you know where you sit and maybe there's something that you can actually step into. We often get so stuck up though when we talk about the body of Christ, about what's our role in the body of Christ. But there's something that underlies all of this that's even more important than the extension, being the actions that we do. It's this, and it's the direct passage after it. Yet we always read this at a wedding and not in conjunction with the body. It says this, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy to the poor and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whether, whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will be useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, those partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away my childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. 
Three things will last forever. Faith, hope and love. The greatest of these is love. See, we all have a role. That's true. But the reason we have a role is not to do something. It's so that we can love each other. It's no good if we serve each other and don't actually love each other. That's why we talk about the church as a family. Because despite it, we're meant to love each other. We love each other. And because we love each other, we actually do what we're blessed with to bless the, everyone else. We don't do what we've blessed with so that we can receive love. Because that's not love, that's a transaction. We're called to love. The one thing that will remain is love. And that's why it's so important that we can do this. See, Timothy, he was on a mission. His call was to be sent out and to fix the leadership problems. I can guarantee you he didn't do that by going in there and just telling them how stupid they are. He didn't do that. He would have gone in with a heart and a place of love and a, a place of humility and respect followed with truth and knowing the correct way. And even better than that, Jesus came and led in love. That's why the whole model of His in leadership is servant because it was never about Him promoting Himself. It was always about Him humbling Himself to serve others. He came to serve to the point where He took the cross for us. He served so that we may live. Timothy served in love. Jesus served in love. Are we going to serve in love? Enter into our call in love. So what I want to do real quickly, not real quickly actually, let's just take the time that it deserves, is there's two things that I want us to think about. We'll start with this. Take a moment, stop and pray. And this is the exact question I want you to ask while you're praying. Who am I going to encourage in our midst? And they may already serve in that way and you're just going to validate and empower them in that. Or maybe it's someone that doesn't know that they do this really well. So in this moment, let's just take some time and pray about who we want to encourage. And while you're doing that, you may also be feeling stirred in yourself to step up. You may be realising, oh, I can, I see a call. You know, it's the, the third week in this series and I'm starting to notice that I have the time to be able to do it. I have the ability to do that. I want to be guided in doing that. If that's you too, take this time now. Simon's up the back or Annette's on a computer. But take that time to actually go talk to him. Or maybe it's Merla, Merla, I'm going to throw you under the bus, I'm sorry. But go and talk to someone. So just take that time to pray. <laughs> 